All right, welcome, everybody. Hey, good to see you. Good to be together with you. Those of you joining us online, wherever you might be, great to have you with us. Thanks for choosing to spend uh, part of your Sunday with us. We're in week number two of this series. It's called uh, The Incredibles. I'm sure many of you have seen one of the incredible movies. If you haven't, these are computer animated movies about a family of five. There's a mom, a dad, three kids, and uh, each one of them has superpowers that they use to fight evil, making them super heroes, but they're also human, they make mistakes, they're flawed like the rest of us. But in this message series, we're talking about another group of heroes listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament of the Bible. And what's great about this uh, list of uh, faith heroes is they're not only filled with faith, incredible faith, they're flawed like the rest of us, but God still used them just like God wants to use each one of us in here in incredible ways. Here's our theme verse for this series from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of, of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now this word here, witnesses, this isn't talking about your family and, and your friends watching you. It's literally, it's talking about that list of faith heroes in the previous chapter, chapter 11, sitting in the grandstands of heaven watching you and cheering you as you run the race of your life. Uh, speaking of running races, I came across a story about a girl named Leah Danez, who was uh, 12 years old, and she signed up to run this 5K in New York City. A 5K is about uh, three miles, and, and she had trained, and she felt really confident that she could complete that distance. But while her mother parked the car, the 12-year-old girl saw a crowd of people gathering together, lining up for a race, and she joined the crowd. The gun sounded, and she uh, took off with that group of runners. But what she didn't realize is that her three-mile run, her three-mile race, would start 15 minutes after that time. She had mistakenly joined the half marathon. Instead of three miles, this is going to be a 13-mile race. A few miles into the race, she asked a competitor, you know, how far do you think we are from the finish line? And when she heard the answer, her eyes got big. Yeah. She realized she was in the wrong race, but she didn't quit running. She, she, she didn't quit. Meanwhile, her mother frantically looked for her with the help of police. Two hours later, Leah Donius' mother found her with the police officers. And that's when she noticed this ribbon around her neck, this medal around her neck. She didn't win, but she finished ahead of 250 adults who actually trained for a half marathon. She was best in her age group. I love that story because it makes you, it, it makes you wonder if, if you and I, if we're capable of more than we think. Scripture tells us don't think too highly of yourself, but it also says I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Who gives me strength. You and I have more potential than we think. With the Holy Spirit empowering us, God's word guiding us, we can do everything that God tells us to do. We can do incredible things for God. And so each weekend, we're going to see what we can learn from one of these uh, incredible faith heroes to inspire us to reach our full potential and run this race that God has for us. And today we are going to look at a very inspiring hero by the name of Noah. There's many things that we can learn from Noah. In fact, I came across this uh, article, this list that says, all I learned in life, I learned all I need to know in life, I learned from Noah's Ark. And uh, this is really profound, so you may want to write some of these down. All right, here's the first one. Uh, don't miss the boat. Okay, very important. That's why we don't have unicorns today. Unicorns were late to the party. All right, just kidding. Uh, number two, stay fit. 
Noah was 500 years old when he began uh, building that boat and uh, stay fit. You never know, you know, when God's going to ask you to do something really big. And then uh, for safety's sake, always travel in pairs, two by two, buddy system. That's always a good idea. When you're stressed out, go on a cruise. Good idea. And remember, the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. All right, there you go. That's all you need to, to know. You know, some of us grew up hearing the story of Noah and the ark uh, many times. I, I heard this story countless times as a kid growing up in, in church. And there may be a temptation to dismiss it as, uh, you know, a kid's story or, you know, maybe it's just so familiar. Or maybe there's some of you who think it's far-fetched. Maybe you're skeptical about it. You're not sure if you buy it. I could give you many reasons to believe it, but I'll just give you the main reason why I, I believe it really happened and is not a, not a myth. Uh, the reason I believe it is because Jesus believed it. Jesus referenced it. Take a look at what Jesus says. When the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus compares his second coming and how people are going to be unprepared for it to the way that people were unprepared for the flood in the days of, of Noah. And I don't think Jesus would have compared himself to Noah and his second coming to the flood if it wasn't an actual historical event. And so I'm with Jesus on this one. Jesus resurrected from the dead, and I've never seen Jesus proven wrong, and so I'm going to stick with Jesus on this one. And I want to encourage you, even if you've questioned this story or maybe you've heard it countless times, I want to challenge you to hear it in a fresh way today, and uh, hopefully it'll inspire you in your spiritual journey. Now, we're never going to face a flood you know, like Noah did. God promised that he would never send another flood, but each of us will face storms and deep waters that will test our faith. And we can learn many lessons from Noah about developing a faith that floats and pleases God. Look at what God said through the prophet Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice, God doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, he says, when all of us are going to face fires and, and storms and deep waters. The flood may come in the form of a difficult circumstance like a bankruptcy or a layoff or divorce or bankruptcy or the loss of a loved one or, or maybe even cancer. Someone said cancer is like walking on the beach and saying that's the ocean. At first it's just the ocean, but before you know it, there's this 300-foot high wave coming at you, threatening to wash you away. Maybe some of you know someone who has experienced that. Maybe some of you have experienced it or will experience it. We have to prepare ourselves for these kinds of, of storms and deep waters. And then ultimately we need to prepare for the day that we stand before God and have our faith examined. God's judgment is a form of a flood that all of us will face. Catherine Booth wrote, the waters are rising, but so am I. I'm not going under, but over. Today, I want us to learn from Noah how to develop a faith that doesn't go under, but goes over. A faith that floats when the floodwaters rise. I want you to see, first of all, how Noah developed this faith, incredible faith, 
under the worst circumstances. Sometimes we think, you know, our world's in bad shape today, but you know what? It was in far worse shape in the days of Noah. God created a perfect world, but it collapsed morally. Take a look at Genesis chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Notice how God doesn't just see evil behavior. God sees into the hearts of people and how people thought about and imagined evil all the time. Verse 11 says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence, constant fighting and wars and violence in in days of, of, of Noah. But notice how God reacts. Some people think that God's first response to sin is anger. They picture an angry God. But verse 6 says, so the Lord was sorry he made them and put them on the earth. Look at this. It broke his heart. God's, God's first response to sin is sorrow. It breaks his heart. It crushes his heart, which shows his love, doesn't it? I mean, you only grieve over someone that you love. Parents, if your child does something wrong, maybe something really destructive, you grieve, right? Your heart aches. Your stomach feels sick. And and the reason is because you love your child. And so God sees the direction everything was going. And with a broken heart, God realizes what what he'll need to do. Verse 7, the Lord said, I'll wipe the human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I'll destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry among the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm so sorry that that I made them. God realizes, you know, with a broken heart, that the, that the only thing to do is to push the reset button. But uh, fortunately, God doesn't have a, a knee-jerk reaction. God doesn't lose his temper. In fact, he looks for a reason to be gracious. He looks for an excuse to be gracious, and he finds one. He finds that reason. Verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. I want you to see, first of all, from Noah that A faith that floats is willing to stand alone. Noah wasn't perfect. He made mistakes, but he stood out from the crowd. 99.9% of the people, they didn't care about God. They acted like their own little God. But Noah walked with God when 99.9% of the people walked away from God. Noah pleases God at a time when no one else did. Noah shows us that sometimes the majority is wrong. Did you know that before the Civil War, most people approved of slavery? Sometimes the majority is wrong, and that's why God doesn't determine right and wrong by a majority vote. 99.9% of the people in Noah's day were wrong, and they got wiped out. Sometimes it pays to be different, but it's hard to stand alone. It's difficult being a student who doesn't party and Parties happen and maybe you don't get invited. You're not included and you feel alone. Or maybe for some of us guys, we go on a business trip and all the rest of the guys end up going to a certain kind of, certain kind of club and maybe you say no and there's resentment. Maybe they even label you, you know, holier than, than thou. Or maybe it's gossip or cheating or any kind of behavior that isn't in line with obedience to God. But it's hard to resist when it seems like everybody else is just giving in and doing it. You can feel lonely obeying God. You know, I remember when I was in high school feeling that way sometimes. I wasn't perfect. I I, I had my struggles. I made lots of mistakes as a a teenager. But there were times when I made God-honoring decisions, and I felt alone because of my faith. 
But here's the real truth. I wasn't as alone as I thought or felt. I had a a youth group uh, at at a church that I met with every Sunday night, gathered together with friends who also followed Jesus, and I would realize that I wasn't alone. That was huge in my life. And that's why we encourage students to participate in The Edge or Slife and adults to join a life group so that you don't feel alone. And I wasn't alone because I had my family. Don't forget, Noah had, had a family too, and they chose to put their faith in God. My family had real faith, and that provided great encouragement for me. Those of you that are parents or grandparents, it's important for your kids to to hear you talk about your faith and why you make church, why you make Jesus a priority in in your life. Uh, When we made our commitment to uh, the Unfinished Initiative, we talked about it. With our, with our kids, and one reason is because I don't want them to feel alone in their faith because they're not alone, and God still honors those who faithfully follow him. God still looks for people with a faith that floats. The world looks for people who are intelligent or beautiful or handsome or charismatic, but God has a different set of criteria. You're going to see in this series that God's incredibles are all ordinary people who walk with God. Here's a question for you. If God were to send another flood and look for somebody to build a boat, would he hand the hammer to you? All that it would take for you to be eligible is for you to walk with God. That's why God picked Noah. A second characteristic is that a faith that floats obeys God. I want you to imagine how ridiculous, I mean, these instructions, these commands that God gave Noah must have, must have sounded to Noah God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Look at this next part here. So Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Do you realize Noah had probably never seen a boat before? Scholars believe that he lived in Mesopotamia, a desert, 500 miles away from the nearest body of of water. He probably had no clue about the concept of a a boat. And he probably had never seen rain before. Scripture says a stream or mist rose from the earth and watered the surface. And Noah would need trust that God would bring animals to the ark in pairs. So, So this required incredible faith on the part of Noah. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Imagine a more incredible display of faith than uh, Noah cutting down that first tree. And he had to cut down a lot more trees because this was a big boat. This is an ocean liner. God said, make it 450 feet long. That's That's the length of a football field and a half. The deck on the ark covered 96,000 square feet. This, this building that we're in, the whole building, the footprint is 60,000 square feet. The ark was more than 50% larger. Building the ark required a lot of faith and a lot of work, but Noah listened and obeyed because he wanted to save his family. I want you to think about this aspect of, of, of obedience. Obedience is not just for God. It's for us. It's for our benefit. Obedience is not just pleasing to God. It's advantageous for, for, for us as children. We have this crazy idea that it'd be better for us to disregard 
some of the instructions that our parents give to us. We, we struggle as kids obeying our, our parents. That's why I've got this little scar on my finger, pretty significant scar. Uh, I don't even remember it. They tell me when I was three or four that I like to play in the garbage basket in the kitchen. And my mom told me, don't play in the garbage. But I thought she was just trying to keep me from having fun. And so when she wasn't looking, I, I went into the garbage and cut my finger wide open on a soup can, had to go to the emergency room and, and get stitched up. I learned the hard way that my, that my mom was protecting me with that command. Or dad says to a teenager, don't stay up late on your phone tonight after you go to bed. But the teen thinks you're just trying to control me. But then the next day, he can't get through the day because he's so tired and weary. And everything seems worse, much worse, because of, because of the fatigue. My point is, obedience is good for the child. Obedience is our friend. And that's not just true for toddlers and teenagers. It's true for adults. Proverbs 19 says, he who obeys instructions guards his life. Noah's obedience guarded his life, guarded his family. The end of the chapter says, Noah did everything as God commanded him. Doesn't mean Noah was, was, was perfect. It just means that Noah followed God's instructions the best way that he knew how. Noah didn't you know, pick and choose which commands or instructions to follow. Noah didn't say, well, I'm going to build the ark 450 feet long, but I'm not going to build it quite as wide as God said. No, he followed all of God's commands. And, you know, he probably wondered, I wonder if there's a different way to do this. I wonder if there's another material that would be better. I wonder if there's a faster way, a quicker way. But disobedience would have been disastrous without God's word. He had no idea about the design or the dimensions or the sealer or the passengers or what to do after he completed building the ark. Noah and his family survived because Noah listened and obeyed all of God's commands. Right before Jesus went, went back to heaven, he gave these instructions to his followers. He said, go into the world and uh, baptize, baptize everyone who believes in me. And that's a command. The, the first act of obedience that Jesus gives to everyone who believes in him is, is baptism, to express your belief in him through taking that action. Baptism is a, is, is a beautiful ceremony. In baptism, we picture with our life what Jesus did with his life. We picture the, 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 death, the death of Jesus on the cross and then his burial in the tomb and then his resurrection to live a new life. I can't think of a better reason to get baptized than because Jesus commanded it and I want to obey Jesus. If you've never been baptized, we've got a great opportunity coming up in couple weeks on Saturday, August 4th, we're calling it the Baptism Bash. It's an outdoor baptism. And if you want to participate, just fill out the, the, the baptism cards in the seat back in, in front of you. And you can drop that in the offering bag or drop it off at the Welcome Center after the service. If you have any questions, stop by. We'd love to chat with you. And then let's go back to the scripture. What's the next instruction? After baptism, what does Jesus say next? He says, after, after, getting, after you baptize them, look at this, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Notice, Jesus didn't say, teach them to choose a half dozen of their favorite commands of mine and do those. No, Jesus said, teach people to obey everything that I've commanded. Why? Because he knew that would be best for us. Because obedience is our friend. 
Now, some of you might wonder, well, how do I know what Jesus commanded? How do I know how Jesus wants me to, to live, what he wants me to do? You know what? The best way to learn the teachings and the commands of Jesus are to read them for yourself by, by, by reading the New Testament of the, uh, of, the, of the scriptures. Every year, the Bible is the best-selling book by far. But how many people actually you know, open it up and read it for guidance? How about you? Do you read the scripture? You know what? You could get started today. You could download this app. It's called the uh, Uversion app. It's very popular. And there are hundreds of free Bible reading plans available on this app. I use a, a, a Bible reading plan that I downloaded from this app. We also have a, a bookmark, free bookmark. You can pick this up in the lobby. It's got a 60-day uh, Bible reading plan and helps you get started reading the New Testament. And then there's also some instructions on the other side about how to, how to read the Bible. This is a great way to get started. You can pick one of these up at the Welcome Center or the Connect Wall in the lobby. And if you need a Bible, uh, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. That's our gift to you. Take that with you. Read the scriptures. Read the New Testament. Read the teachings of Jesus and live them out. And that's going to help you develop a faith that floats. So Noah stood alone. He obeyed God. Third, I want you to see how a faith that floats waits patiently. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not very patient. Um, I easily get impatient. That's when I have to wait in line. And uh, I'm, that's why I'm grateful for cell phones. You know, I can stare at my phone, you know, while I wait in line. But it's still hard for me to wait. Many of us hate waiting. Unlike me, Noah showed great patience. Do you know how long it took Noah to build the ark? It says 120 years. And until so finally, after 120 years, he gets in the ark, and then look at what God says here in, in verse 4. God says, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now think about this, okay? He spent 120 years building the ark, and he's finally got all the, he's got it built, and he's got all the animals in, in the ark. He's got his family in, in the ark. And God says, wait seven more days. If I, were, if I was Noah, I'd be saying, let's get this flood on the road. What's the holdup here? Why wait seven more days? But Noah was willing to take it slow. Um, some people think Noah was on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. No, 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 no. That's just how long it rained. After 40 days of, of rain, the water flooded the earth for 150 days. And then the water receded for the next 150 days. There's 40 more days as the ark rests on Mount Ararat. Seven more days until Noah sends a raven and the, and the raven can't find dry ground. And then he sends out a dove and the dove doesn't re return. Another, another, he waits another month and then he finally leaves the ark after 371 days. And God stayed silent during those 371 days. Can you imagine how much patience it took for Noah and, and his family? Think about living with those animals. I mean, the ark was a floating zoo. And those animals had to be fed and milked and watered and worst of all, the shoveling. And can you imagine sleeping, trying to sleep on the, on the ark? Uh, we used to have one cat, uh, past tense, uh, one, one cat in our house. And uh, every morning that cat would meow and, and wake us up at like 5.30 in, in the, uh, the, the morning. That's just one cat. Can you imagine trying to sleep with, with all the noise in the ark, laughing hyenas, chirping birds, roosters, crickets, roaring lions, Frogs. I mean, that drove me crazy for one night, let alone 371 nights. But Noah was patient, and God uh, brought them through. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at knowing what God should do and when 
God should do it. I want God to change this other person now. I want God to start this new ministry, this new program in our church now. I want my friend to start following Jesus now. But if we're going to develop a faith that floats, a faith that doesn't go under, a faith that goes over, it's not our timing. It's God's timing. We move forward at God's pace. One more characteristic, a faith that floats spreads God's message. During that 120 years, Noah did more than just pound nails and build the ark. Peter tells us Noah was a preacher. Noah tried to persuade more people to follow God. Maybe God, maybe he felt like God, God might change his mind about the flood. Maybe more people would get on the ark because God has a big heart for saving, for, 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 uh, uh, saving people. Speaking of the flood in Noah's day, Peter says, by these waters, also the wor- world of that time, that's the days of Noah he's referring to, uh, the world of that time was delusion destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Time's running out, Peter says, and God wants to save every person. God wants every person to get in the ark, so to speak, and that's why we're here as a church. That's why our mission is to make more followers of Jesus and and, and better followers of Jesus, and that's why we're launching a new campus in Pewaukee in October. We want to help more people prepare spiritually for, for the storms that lie ahead. In, in many ways, here's a, here's a picture of the Pewaukee campus. It's really, I think it's really looking good. And, uh, you know, in many ways, this new location in Pewaukee, it reminds me of the ark. Think, think about it. Uh, this is a, a, a big step of faith for our church. We've never done anything like this before. And it's taken us a, a significant amount of time. We began this journey three years ago. And like the ark, God's going to use this location to, to save people. And to save families now and forever. But unlike Noah, uh, we've had many partners encouraging us and supporting us and helping us. The city of Pewaukee has been very supportive. We have a great financial partner that's helped us every step along the way. And many of you have stepped out in faith and, and given faithfully and generously to the Unfinished Initiative to make this all possible. But as we wrap up the construction and, and get ready for the launch on October Sunday, October 7th, I want to let you know that we do have a gap. We have a gap of about $250,000 that we're looking to close over these next two weeks. This is critically important of a moment in the life of our church for us to to rally and, and finish this phase of the building construction. I'm confident we can do this and we should do this because it's a great opportunity for us to spread God's message to Pewaukee and beyond. And so I wanna call us to prayer. And I want to call us to action. If you already made a commitment to unfinished, this is a great opportunity to catch up or accelerate your giving. I know Marnie and I are praying about the role God wants us to take in this. We're praying hard. And then we're going to act on that prayer these next two weeks and give an accelerated gift to help close the gap. If you're newer around here or maybe you do not have a commitment to the Unfinished Initiative, I want to challenge you to pray and act also. Would you pray 
about being a significant part of helping us close this gap. It's going to take all of us to make this happen. And so for the next two weeks as a church, pray, pray about what God's calling you to, you to do, how to respond. And then over the next two weeks, act. Let's, let's respond. This is a great moment for us to live out this challenge of faith as we take a, a major step in the life of our church and we expand into this new community of Pewaukee. All of us can help close this, this gap. I want to show you a little example of how God's working in our, in our church. I was at a restaurant recently. The waitress recognized Marnie and I. And, and uh, here's a little note. I love this little note she wrote on our receipt. She said, thank you, P.S. River Glen saved my life. Love your church. That's what Unfinished is all about. I love how God is using this, this church, just like the ark. God is saving people here. Our mission is very important. Think about it this way. If you're at a restaurant and you see a fire in the bathroom and you're like, I'm getting out of here, but you don't say anything to anybody else, you don't pull the alarm, you don't say, hey, bro, there's a fire, there's a fire over there, you just leave, that's not good. Oh, yeah, I think there's even laws against, against that. That's not loving. And there's a very real sense as Jesus followers, as a church family, you know what, we're in the same situation today where if you know the truth about Jesus, you have a responsibility to, to, to spread that message, to share that news in a loving way. And summer brings great opportunities, doesn't it? The weather's nicer uh, generally. We spend more time outside. We have cookouts, picnics outside. Summer's a great time to get close to people who are far from God and invite them. Maybe invite them to come to our weekend service as part of the incredible series. Maybe invite them on Saturday night. We've got some great events coming up on Saturday night. Maybe you invite them this Thursday. We're having the uh, rally at the uh, Pewaukee location. We're going to have an open house and we're going give, to give tours. Your invitation might change someone's eternity, but it can be very challenging. Remember, Noah preached for 120 years and the only converts that he had were his wife, their three kids, and their spouses. 120 years of preaching, seven, just seven converts. Those don't seem like very spectacular results, do they? But those seven people mattered a great deal to God. Remember, our job is to share the message. Our job is to invite people. God's job is the results. And so if people don't respond initially, keep praying for them. Keep that door open. Don't give up on people. Keep inviting them. Keep serving them. Keep loving them. So what's your next step? for developing a faith that floats. Maybe it's to have the courage to stand alone. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's reading the scriptures. Maybe it's helping us close the, the gap on the construction project. Maybe it's inviting someone to, to come here and hear about Jesus. What is your next step? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna pass communion trays, our communion is open to anybody who says yes to Jesus and the incredible sacrifice that, uh, that he made on the cross to pay for all of our sins. It's a, it's a step of faith for those of us who choose to participate because we affirm our trust in Jesus to save us now and forever. The bread represents Christ's body, the juice represents Christ's blood. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this incredible character, Noah. Thank you for his remarkable, incredible faith. 
God, I pray that Noah's example would, would motivate us, would inspire us to take our next step of faith. I know that every one of us will face some deep waters. Some of us may be in some deep water right now. Help us, God, to develop a faith that goes over rather than under. A faith that floats when the floodwaters rise. And God, thank you most of all for Jesus and the incredible sacrifice that he made to save every single person. God, we thank you for this gift and we ask you to to use our church to spread the message of Jesus, to save more people, to save more families in Waukesha and Pewaukee and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.